0: In your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one, one another out of reverence for Christ. Perhaps you have said it, but certainly you have heard other people say it. I, I I'm a Christian. But I seem to have more defeats than I have victories. I just don't seem to be able to live in the power that some people talk about in the Christian life. I just don't seem to be able to live that perfect holy lifestyle that many people say they live in. Is this as good as it gets? I'm here to tell you this morning that God intends for every believing child of God to live in victory. doesn't mean you'll never have discouragements, you'll never have some tough times. He, his intent is for you to live in victory and motivated in a strong spiritual life. I believe that with all of my heart. His power is made available to every born-again believer. And He baptizes us. And He fills us with His Spirit, which is that power that enables us to be victorious. The technical theological term for this that you find in the New Testament that you don't don't hear spoken about much anymore is sanctification. Sanctification. Nobody seems to understand what sanctification is anymore. When we speak about that, we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we're referring to a once for all gift that Jesus gave to us. When we speak about the filling of the Spirit, we're talking about the acknowledging of the gift of the Spirit and that. It comes into us, and it's a continuous experience. It has to be appropriated continuously. The results of the baptism of the Holy Spirit came as a result of the day of Pentecost, when the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the baptism of the Spirit is the consequence of God sending His Spirit into our life and into the church on the day of Pentecost. The filling of the Spirit is what the people there received that day. And so baptism is not a repeatable event. Some people say, I've heard it said many times in the church, what we need is another Pentecost. No, we don't. Don't mean to burst your bubble. We don't need another Pentecost. We need to live in the Pentecost that's already come. It's already here. You can experience it. You can have it in your life. We just need to live in it. And for the most part, the church across America today is not living in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are living in an emotional state of ecstasy. And if it's not happening in the church emotionally and in an ecstasy, then it... It's disappointing to us, and we're not pumped up spiritually. No, you need to live in the power of Pentecost every single day of your life, and worship is just an opportunity to get an extra boost uh, from the fellowship and the worship experience of God. Um, I wasn't sure I'd get a lot of amens on that, but that's okay. It really is not a repeatable event, folks. But the filling of the Spirit is an experience that has to be repeated, and in fact, it has to be kept up to date. If it is not maintained, it will be lost. When we are saved, we we have some rough edges on our lives. You had some rough edges. I had some rough edges. People might look at us, and they would say, I just don't know if there'll ever be anything in Christ. They have so many rough edges. I don't know if they can ever accomplish anything in the kingdom of God. And yet when the Spirit of God comes into us, He cleans us up and He shapes us up and He disciplines us. And we become useful because of the Spirit's work in us. Michelangelo, the great uh, sculptor and painter, was pushing a heavy rock up a small incline to his workplace. And he struggled with it, and for about an hour he worked to get it in place. A neighbor was watching him. I don't know why the neighbor didn't come and help him, but after about an hour, the neighbor said to him, Michelangelo, why do you work so hard to get that old ugly rock in place? Without hesitation, Michelangelo said, because there's an angel inside waiting to come out. You know, when the Spirit of God comes into your life, He molds you and He sculpts you and He chips away because He sees that there is something holy and good and perfect in you that needs to come out. He is the angel, bringing out the angel in your spiritual life. Now, there is a need to understand the workings of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have time to explain it all to you this morning, but let's just work for a little bit on it. It often happens in a life that a thing is derived as good and beneficial, even though you may not understand it. I am not an electrician. I have done a little bit of wiring, but I'm not an electrician. I have a friend in Goshen who was used to, pastor in Goshen, who was an electrician. If I ran into trouble, I called Will Van Osdall because let him get shocked. <laughs> and he helped wire a, a shop that I had built with another guy. I don't understand electricity, I don't know how it works. I don't know the first thing about the intricacies of electricity. All I want to happen is when I take a plug and plug it into an outlet, I want the appliance to work. I don't, have to need, I don't have a need to know all the intricacies of electricity. I just want it to work. Now, I don't have to understand all of the mysteries of the Trinity for it to work for me. I'll be the first to tell you. I don't understand it. I have this neat little illustration that falls apart because it's just limited. You know, water is ice, and water is liquid, and water is steam, and it's all water. So that's my knowledge for the day on the Trinity. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it's all God. I don't have to understand. In fact, if I understood it, I would be God. God. So I don't try to understand it. All I need to do is plug into its power and have it work for me. Now, the Spirit is in the heart of every believer. In 1 Corinthians, the Bible says, Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Wow. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. I didn't say that. That's what the Word says. If you're a Christian, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God's Spirit lives in you. The moment you become a Christian, the Spirit of God moves in. He comes into your heart and life. He is God living in you. And the New Testament, there are three categories of people, at least three that I have found, who have the Spirit in their life. First of all, to be filled with the Spirit is the normal Christian lifestyle. It's just the normal way of doing it. It's the way God intended it to be. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that those accepted Christ, all 3,000, were baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 6, seven men were chosen, out of all the believers, to minister to the widows in Jerusalem. And the Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 11, verse 24, it talks about Barnabas being a good man, and it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. In Acts chapter 13, the disciples of Antioch were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So it seems as I read the New Testament, that God intends that the baptism of the Holy Spirit be the normal Christian life. And the evidence that you are filled with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit. Please understand that. You can have all the gifts in the world. That's not the evidence. The evidence, if you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and gentleness, and self-control... That's the evidence that you're being filled with the Spirit because you don't normally have that in your life, do you? Unless God's Spirit lives in you. He brings those things to your life. Secondly, I find that people were filled with the Holy Spirit for a particular ministry that they had. John the Baptist, for instance, was filled with the Spirit even in his mother's womb for the ministry, prophetic ministry of being the forerunner of Christ who announced Christ's coming. And then Saul of Tarsus was filled with the Holy Spirit to be the, the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, there's a third group of people, and that is persons who are filled with the Spirit for an immediate task. Friends, I've been baptized with the Spirit because I'm a Christian. But I am filled with the Spirit. I would not think of coming to this platform to preach to you this morning without having first asked the Holy Spirit to fill me for this particular occasion. I can tell you a fact. When I go over my messages that I have prepared, I think, wow, that's... (laughs) Wished I could have done better with that. I wished I could take it back and rework it on Saturday, but it's almost too late. But I tell you something happens to me when I come to the platform and begin to preach, and it is not the words on a page that I have memorized. It is not anything else that happens except the Spirit of God anoints me, and I get excited about what God has given me to preach, whether you do or not. (laughs) And that's the anointing of the Spirit of God for a particular task. Now let's look at Ephesians 5.18 for a moment. That, That passage is in the present imperative in the Greek, which means present is today. Imperative is a command. So you don't have an option as a Christian to say, I don't think I want to be filled with the Spirit today. It's a command of Christ to be filled with the Spirit. And it's continuous action. It means every single day of your life. Every moment that you live, you are filled with the Spirit. It is perhaps a one-time crisis experience that we in the Church of God talk about as sanctification, where you suddenly realize, I am not being controlled by the Spirit. You're baptized with, you have the Spirit living in you, but you're not allowing the Spirit to control you. And that's really what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. You're not allowing the Spirit to control you. And so in a crisis moment, you come to the altar or in your home or wherever you are, and you say, oh, God, I want the Spirit to control me. And you are filled with the Spirit at that moment, and your life becomes different. Now, as you study the filling of the Spirit, you will see that it happens over and over again because the baptism happened in Acts chapter 2, but as you read through Acts, you find that there was fillings that took place for an extra special thing that was happening, that the person was filled with the Spirit. And so, in the early chapters of, of Acts you will discover that Christians were baptized in the Spirit, but as you continue to read past Pentecost, you will see that they were filled with the Spirit many times. When the experience of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Spirit is not appropriated by you on a daily basis, you fall into some pitiful patterns of living. That's the God honest truth. Because you can't live successfully on your own. You can't Have a spiritual life on your own. It takes God's Spirit in you in this wicked age in which we live. In the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you will find that it's something that you got to work on and ask for every single day of your life. When you wake up in the morning, you ought to say, God, I allow you today to fill me with your Spirit to control my life. I get off the throne of my life. I'm going to enthrone you so that you can control me today. Now, the Christians at Corinth were a solemn warning at this point. Because, you see, it's plain in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that they were baptized in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, "...for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek. We were all made to drink of one Spirit." And so they were all baptized into the Spirit... And in addition to that, they had been enriched with spiritual gifts. They had all of those gifts that's talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14. They were full of those gifts in that church. But I want you to notice something. The Apostle Paul rebukes them as being unspiritual people. That means that they were not spirit-filled. They had the spirit from baptism, but they were not being controlled by the spirit in the church. And so he could not address them as spiritual people. He said, I have to address you as carnal spiritual babes in Christ. They needed to be controlled by the spirit of God instead of self. I hold out to you today. That's what the church needs. I hold out to you today that the majority of Christians are controlled by self and they're not controlled by the Spirit of God. It's evident by their lifestyle. I see people in the church today who live together and say, it's okay, I'm a Christian. I see people who think that that homosexuality is okay and they are Christian. I I see people who are defying God's Word over and over again and they say, we are Christian, we are Spirit-filled. I don't care how high you jump. When you hit the ground, you better be walking in the Spirit. And that's what's essential. The church today needs to be controlled by the Spirit of God. We basically control our own life. Other things in life, materialism and and even some good things like family and Other things have at times drawn us away from what God would have us be and the commitment that we need to have to Him. And so I challenge the church, I challenge you and I challenge me to be controlled by the Spirit and not controlled by self. I want you to notice that there are seven texts in the New Testament that talk about the baptism of the Spirit. Here's where they're found. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Mark chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 1, verse 32 and 34. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Acts chapter 11, verse 16. And one we just read a bit ago, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I want you to notice also, if you go back and read those passages, you will discover that each of them, except the last one, is John the Baptist talking about the fact that there is one coming after him who will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. Obviously, he was talking about Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what took place after Jesus' death and His resurrection and ascension. Fifty days later on the day of Pentecost, Jesus baptized the church at Pentecost in the Holy Spirit. And on that day they were all baptized, not just the elite, not just a few. Every one of the 3,000 plus that came to Christ were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so the baptism is not a repeatable event. It happened to those Christians. But the work of the Holy Spirit is also that of filling us on a daily basis so that we can live in the control of Christ. Ephesians 5.18, our text, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now I want you to notice there's a negative And there's a positive in that. And the negative is, do not get drunk with wine. The warning there about drunkenness just almost seems out of place, doesn't it? (laughs) Why did Paul drop that down right in the middle of that passage? It seems so out of place until you begin to think about it a bit. See, Paul has been comparing the difference between foolish living and wise living. Remember when we started out, he talked about foolish living and wise living in that passage we read this morning. In Proverbs chapter 30, or 23, verse 31 through 35, it talks about the foolishness of drinking wine. And there's several verses there that talk about the foolishness of that. And so the verse tells of the futility and the utter senselessness of the use of alcohol. It's what that passage is talking about. And Paul is giving a negative command, do not be drunk with wine. But he gives a positive command. The positive is be filled with the Spirit. So a person who is drunk is under the influence of alcohol. The person who is filled with the Spirit is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference here. The one who is drunk is out of control. The one who is spirit-filled is in control. Drunkenness makes a person wild. It dehumanizes them. It causes them to do things that they would not normally do. But to be spirit-filled makes us more human. It makes us like Christ. And so he's drawing a contrast between the two. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. Now, what is the process then of receiving this filling of the Spirit? How how does it happen? John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, Jesus is speaking here. It happened on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a great feast that lasted several days. On the last day of the feast, the priest took a pitcher and went down to the pool of Siloam and dipped it, came back and poured out the water as a thanks offering for the harvest. Jesus said this, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. Now, many people think that verse is talking about salvation. And it isn't. Salvation is included in it, but Jesus said it's about the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit had not yet been given, because he had not yet been glorified. And we've already told you many times the Spirit came to the church at Pentecost and to believers. And so the filling of the Spirit is appropriated by faith, just like salvation is appropriated by faith. It does take some work on your part. It takes time on your part. It takes some effort on your part. Now, there was a guy who uh, was a businessman who wanted a garden. And he was a busy man, very busy, and he hired a doctor in horticulture who was going to make him a garden out of his land. He kept emphasizing over and over again to the, to the doctor, I-, I want this to be time-saving. I-, I don't have a lot of time for it. I I want the very best of things. He wanted a sprinkler system, and he wanted every labor-saving device that you possibly get. And and one day he was going on about this, and finally she stopped and said, wait a minute. There's one thing that you need to get very clear before we continue. There is no garden without a gardener. Think about that in the spiritual life. There are no labor-saving devices to growing a garden of spiritual virtue, folk. Takes effort and takes work on your part. Becoming a person of spiritual fruitfulness requires time. It requires attention and care. You notice in the presentation, they asked Pastor Culp about his spiritual life. It takes time and effort. What do we do to experience the control of, of God's Spirit in our life? Three simple points. Number one, you have got to desire the control of the Spirit in your life. An honest desire. As the deer panteth after the water brooks. so my heart pants after you, O oh God. If there is a burning desire in you to be like God, to be controlled by God and by His Spirit, it can happen. But if you're lackadaisical about it and say, I don't have time for that, you won't have a garden of spiritual virtue. You have to desire it. Secondly, you have to confess your known sins to God. If you you know there's sin in your life, can repent of that and confess it and get it out of your life because the Holy Spirit doesn't fill a, a, a dirty vessel. And third, by faith you accept the fullness of the Holy Spirit into your life. We are filled with the Spirit in the same way we are saved by faith. By faith. It's, it's a, kind of strange that devout people who would jump up and down and say, no, you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace, you're saved by faith, will spend a lifetime trying to be good enough to be filled with the Spirit. Christ has promised that if we ask anything in His name, He will do it. you believe that? Of course we do. So let's ask Him this morning to fill us with the Spirit of God And then we take Him at His word that He has done that. And then every day you ask Him to fill you again. You're baptized. The Spirit lives in you. But when we're talking about being filled, we're talking about being controlled by the Spirit. Lord Jesus, I give you the control of my life. Here's a very simple prayer that you can pray. Lord, today I need to be filled with the Spirit. I cannot fill myself. I ask you to fill me with your Spirit's power now. I give you first place in my life. I surrender complete control of my life to you. Amen. You pray that simple prayer. And God's Spirit will live in you and abide in you, and you will give Him the control of your life And you will find victory in your life. Let us pray. Father, today we humble ourselves before you, recognizing that we are not worthy of what we've talked about, but you have given us the the wonderful spirit, your spirit, to live in us when we accept you as as Savior. And Lord, we don't have to live in defeat. We can be victorious even in difficult times. So I pray today for persons who are controlling their own life and do not want to let go of that. Help them to see that they're hurting themselves, that you want the best for them, and their best interest is to allow you to control them in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe there has to be a response in every service for it to be effective. I'm not talking about people lining at the altar. I'm talking about a response in you for the service to be effective. Some people may not even know what that response is, and they don't have to know, but you know you have made some commitment to God. On the other hand, sometimes I think it is good for persons to move forward as say, man, I am committed to this. You're about to receive a new pastor, I believe, in just a few weeks. What a great thing it would be for him to know that he has a congregation that is committed to the filling of the Spirit and the control of the Spirit in their life. And if you're willing to commit to that this morning, I commit myself to be controlled by the Spirit of God. You may have already done it. You may be living in it. Some of you aren't living in it. But if you're committed to that, I'm going to ask you just to come and stand up here. Not kneel, but just stand. And we're going to have a great prayer uh, that God will fill this congregation with the Spirit. And we will live in His power. And we will... We will get rid of sin in our life and we will just be God's people in this place in preparation for a new pastor. Would you stand as we sing it again and just uh, don't hesitate, come right forward. For you in the balcony, sometimes it's difficult to get down here but you want to be a part of that. If you do, just slip your hand up and and kind of hold it up while we pray and you can be a part of this event as well. Those on the platform here, you want to be a part of that? You can slip your hand up as well as a testimony to it. Let's have a word of prayer. And then I want you to repeat after me this prayer that we just prayed a little bit ago. Dear Father, I come to you today today. grateful for what you have done done in my life. For those who have not just a moment. For those who have not accepted Christ, you you pray this prayer. Lord, I know that you have uh, died on the cross and that I accept that and I repent of my sin and I accept you into my life. Now let's continue. I cannot fill myself with your spirit today. I cannot fill myself with your my spirit today. I ask you at this moment to fill me. I ask you I commit to asking you every day to fill me. I give you first place in my life. I I surrender my control. control. And I give you control. control. Help Help me to live in the Spirit every day. Lord, today I know that these folks... Mean that there are many in the pews who've prayed that prayer as well. Lord, there's nothing magical about this, it's just you living in us and helping us to live our life in the power of the Spirit. Will we continue to make some mistakes? Yes, but Lord, help us to confess those at that time and ask forgiveness of persons we have hurt or things we've done that have been wrong and then. Lord, help us to continue to appropriate that filling and control in our life on a daily basis. And not only will we see a difference in us, but the world will see it. And our light will shine in this community. Thank you for meeting with us today. In the strong name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. As you go back to your seats, we are grateful for those who are guests today. We want to welcome you again to our church. And today, if you're a guest, if you would go to the information booth out in the foyer of the church, there's a gift for you, and there'll be persons there that you could ask questions about. And then also, there is a a small group of men that meet in the chapel if you'd like to meet with them to pray just for a a moment for the pulpit committee and for the church. They'll be there in the the, uh, prayer room just off to the left as you go out the sanctuary. May God richly bless you today. Glad you're here to worship with us. You're a great people and God is a great God.